will be my fire woven to different cloth. Ain't nothing forbidden, this nigga kid is written off. Hardest fit in the city, y'all niggas spitting, getting soft, confused in the maze. You forget your brain, missing lust, and planning for our future people. None of our people involved. Boring Henny and smearing off, the kid and cracking off. Cracking off and smearing off to quickly turn the Molotov. Molotov the spaceship door before that bitch is taken off. It always seems the poorest persons, the people forsaken dog. The Washington's, Jefferson's, Jackson's on the captain's log. They'd rather leave us to the greatest water poison, deli small. Glass on blackening, it's happening. You feel it, y'all? I'd rather see it. Lovely new edit. This is the first Muda scale recorded in the year 2017. I, I just don't want you to look stupid. You know? I, I, I don't want to have to break you again in front of everybody. I'm not usually in front of everybody. It's usually over the phone. But here we are. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> and um, glad to be back again. Um, we had to talk about the show last week. Um, glad we finally uh, got got to get back in here and sit th- sit down and, and record again. It, it was there's there's a lot of uh, <coughs> Floyd Mayweather Jr. going on, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're like, what, what's wrong? And I was like, um. And then, then I said, step your game up. <laughs> you, know, you know I own a private jet. I keeps a private jet. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, there was that. And then also, uh, so, you know, I was like looking forward to coming here and uh, and doing the show. And then I don't know if it was like, it was like totally coincidence or uh, the kismet of the world. But uh, someone that like, I, like that, dude. I, I follow, I, I kind of think you do. I'm not so c- certain, but uh this uh, uh this guy uh giant mecha machine right like that within like a few hours after we talked was like um posted up one of our like the link to our show and was saying he he missed hearing us so and, and you marked up i did that's yeah. like you know yeah. one of one of one of the the handful of solid followers we got yeah i want one, one of the 12 <laughs> yeah i want to do the show he wants to hear the show so we were here to do the show so, um, being that, you know, it is January 2017, um, I kind of thought the, the place I wanted to start off with was kind of the, the biggest match or the biggest event to open the new year, which was Wrestle Kingdom 11. Now, did, it op- did it open up the new year, or was it recorded last year? And then no, it's up January there? 4th every, every year. Okay. Um, and so... Well, look at you with the knowledge, dude. wanted to talk about uh, that main event, which was Kenny Omega versus... Uh, Kazuchika Okada for uh, for uh, the NJWP Heavyweight Championship and um, isn't it the IWGP? You're right, IWGP. Okay, the New Japan Pro Wrestling. Step your game up. You are correct. You are correct, sir. And so um, you know, I want to talk about the match. I don't want to get into necessarily the whole thing about the rating. Um, It did get a six star, which like was the reason why I wanted a six star from who? Meltzer. Meltzer, oh, okay. Who, I, I, I got a lot of faith in what Meltzer says. Um, so, I mean, we just need to talk about the match, like, how good it was, well, the, like, but the regardless six, of but whether the, it's six stars, but okay. I do want to get into that at some point. All right. So, um, I, I enjoyed the match, um, uh, and then, you know, I kind of, as we kind of talked, you know, I don't, I don't know that you, I'm not saying that you hated it or anything, but it didn't seem like you were overly impressed, but I decided... I would go back and watch it again. I watched it again last night, and after seeing it the second time, um, I, I, I thought it was uh, it was a great match. It was it was, it's, it's it like was the, a very good match. But it was like the Red Rooster, right? I mean, the whole thing is like, yeah, it, it's a good match. And for anybody that doesn't know who the Red Rooster is, but it's like Bobby the Brain Heenan. They, they do the promo because you had Red Rooster, who's Terry Taylor, and then Bobby the Brain Heenan, and then like Bobby the Brain, he's like he's like you know, but you you know Terry Taylor said that he was good. He was like, but you're not as good as like. Ravishing Rick Rude. He's like, well, I'm okay, I'm okay. My whole thing is like, okay, it was a good match, but it wasn't as good as, I mean, it wasn't the best match that I've ever seen that everybody's marking out over, right? I think people have a sh- very short-term memory 
I enjoyed the match. I thought Kenny Omega made. I, I thought it put Kenny Omega was already on the map, but in terms of like being a major player, and I think it's going to open up a lot of things for him in terms of WWE. Uh, with just you know, it's kind of like he's like a hot free agent now, right? Because of this match. Um, but I, I would say that it it was the stuff leading up to his match that enabled him to do what he did during that match. But I don't think it was good as, I mean, I, I thought Okada, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura in the, the G1 Climax was a way better match in terms of, in terms of storytelling, in terms of spots. Um, I really felt that uh, Omega came out looking like a million bucks because he took so many of the, uh, of the clotheslines that uh, Okada does so well. I, I thought it was a good match, but you know, people just started marking out over it, saying it's the best thing they've ever seen, and I, I just don't believe that's the case. Right, and so that's one of the things that I think, like, um, <clears throat> like Meltzer, and I don't want to get too much into this, but I think like he's got a very good way of like evaluating, and like, um, and he's pretty consistent. So for him to go and say this is like the first ever six star match, I guess like that implies that it's the greatest match ever, right? So. I'm going to say, Alan, I agree with you. It's not, I'm not going to say it's not the best match that I ever saw in my life, right? But I thought it was a great match, um, and then I kind of reinforced that watching it a second time. Um, there were, like, there were a ton of pretty crazy high spots. Um, and Such as? Um, Omega kind of did a, uh, I think the one that really sticks out to me is he, he kind of, like, jumped to the top rope and did, like, a springboard moonsault over the fence outside and, like, really dangerous landing. And I, I almost thought, like, he was going to, like, you know, drop his throat right on, right on the, 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 the guardrail outside and narrowly avoided that. Like, that was, that was, a, crazy, uh, that was a crazy spot. I liked the one where he kind of did the, where he just kind of laid the table over Okada outside and he kind of ran off the a- apron and did, like, the double foot stomp and, like, punched a hole through the table. Um, and, but, you know, I thought, I also thought something that added to it, <clears throat> the, to the match was, um, like, JR also. I thought, like, a few times he pointed out, like, um, it's like, you know, you, you got an advantage. Like, Okada has an advantage. Like, he could probably go for a cover, but, like, for some reason he keeps going to the top rope. And he kind of kept pointing out, like, uh, like, these guys keep going to the top rope and they're taking risks they don't need to take. And then they always kind of burn themselves afterwards, which I thought... I, I thought it was good too. I think him and him and Barnett are getting um, a lot better chemistry than. I, like, I, I, I don't think so. I I I, I think I to tell you I think Jr. took away from the match. Yeah, I, it's just you know I'm not disagreeing just to disagree, but I I really think the 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 problem that I have with Jr. is that when you listen to Jr. doing the, these matches, it sounds like he's watching a pre-recorded match, and I think that takes a a, a lot away from the match itself. Uh, and I think it's a case where the torch has been passed. I, you know, between him and Ronaldo, Ronaldo was way better because it was in the moment. Ronaldo has this ability to talk about the match. He he is very adept in knowing who the wrestlers are, um, what their kind of background is. And Jr. is just kind of to me is just fumbling around. He he's taking it kind of from an approach of like I don't know these guys, and so here's my like here's my like straight take on what I'm seeing right now, which is fine, which I right. which, which which is which I have no problem with, but. Um, I, I think it takes away it takes away from the match itself. I mean, he doesn't know. He doesn't bring in. I mean, he doesn't bring in Kenny Omega's past. Um, you know, I really don't feel like he. I don't know. I, I just the storyline isn't there. He he's not able to bring storylines in. It's just I, I I like I like 
Josh a lot, right? Yeah, Josh Barnett. Okay, good. I, I got that right. Josh L. Barnett. Um, I, I like him. I like him in terms of he he he's a decent color you know play by color guy, but he was a lot better with Ronaldo. So yeah. I still think Ronaldo was better for that setting, but I just think that. Like Jr. has got better, gotten better. He's gotten, he's gotten, gone. he's gotten and I, and, better. And I agree with what you said. But too. I don't think he added to the match. Right. Well, I, I think there's certain parts that that I like, and I, I agree with what you're saying. Probably, probably like the, the probably the aspect of of criticizing. Not, I'm not saying criticizing, but he he was analytical and critical. Right. Of, uh, yeah. Okay. Because I, 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 I can get with that. I agree with what you're saying. He doesn't he doesn't bring like the in depth and the backstory of the careers and the characters. But in terms of just like straight calling a match, I think he's kind of settled into that part and and doing a pretty good job. Um, with the action there, um, so anyway, like the other thing too is like it's a it's a long match. It's like a forty five ish minute match, um, and you know, I think there was there was there was a certain back and forth going out through for a while, um, but like the really last ten or fifteen minutes, I thought it really picked up, and I, I did really like that last ten fifteen minutes. Um, Omega came coming in with a lot of like really good solid knee strikes. Um, I did like that, and then and and I thought, going back to Jr. a little bit, they did a good job of of selling the fact that no one ever kicked out of, of that, um, of the Rainmaker, but the other thing that I liked too about the way that that the match went after that is, like typically when you if you see like a WWE match, the way that they've kind of been doing things over the years, is the only way they top themselves is they got to kick out of two finishers or they got to kick out of three finishers. So like Omega kicked out of the one, but even though Okada had to hit him with like two or three more, it wasn't like Omega kicked out of two or three more. You know what I mean? Yeah, he he, he positioned himself where he couldn't do the. They, they did a very good job of after each Rainmaker, it was tough for Okada to make the pin. Right, and, and it it was done in a believe it wasn't done like Macho Man and WCW trying to with you know trying to beat Kevin Asherson for the title or beat whoever was a champion. It might have even been Hulk Hogan where like he hits a move and then like he can't move and you're like well. He had no idea of being hurt. Why is he not moving? Right. Um, but with the Okada, Okada was is very believable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk about the the last ten to fifteen minutes, and you know, I, I'm 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 a person that for the most part, I guess, if I'm going to be honest, I'm going to look at this and if someone says like, oh, the last ten fifteen minutes were great, and and, and my kind of inclination is like, well. What wrestling have you seen? I mean, it's like if 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 this is something that you've never seen before, I can understand that. And and but if you take a look at the context of of, of New Japan pro wrestling matches, I, I there there's been a lot better last ten fifteen minute, minutes of a match than that one. I think. I mean, it's listen. What what I liked about the match and what I really appreciated about the match was that Omega was in control the whole time. You know, I really felt that he was in control. Um, but I also think that was kind of a detriment to the match as well. It's like, it's like you, you have this guy in, in Omega who is so over with himself and, you know, in, in play, playing that good type of heel role, you, you never feel that he, you never feel that he was out of control of the match. Like he always felt that he was in charge of the match. Uh, I, I felt it's like a two edged sword. It's like, I really liked where he was kind of just, I mean, this is the first guy to, to, to head, to headline a, a, a main event at, you know, New, not New Japan for wrestling. Kingdom. Yeah, at a Wrestle Kingdom. Kingdom. I'm, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, but they kind of leave that to it, to that as well. Mm. And just the way that he thumbed the nose at everybody and just like made Okada seem like he was just like this straight nobody, and he played that off really well. 
the problem that I have though is that Okada wasn't able to kind of combat that. You know, I mean, Okada, you know, it's Okada is is a great worker, but if if you're going to have this outlandish character in Omega, just like thumb the nose at everybody, then Okada has to bring the goods as well. I don't think he did in terms of story story yeah characterized storytelling wise and, and that that's kind of okay. the problem that I have Fair enough. And, and, I, and what I, what I want to say is that you know I go back to the Shinsuke and Okada match you can even go back to Shinsuke and and, and, and a Tanahashi match I, I thought those G1 climaxes matches were a whole lot better even with with Ibushi you know just with because you have the you have these hard hitters in the ring and I go back to Okada and Shinsuke it's like these guys like that last 10 to 15 minutes to me was way better because there's more technical aspect to it uh, they didn't have to rely on gimmickry, gimmickry as much as, as uh, Omega did. I'm not saying that Omega did that, but it was a big part of that story. I thought Omega really showed through with what he could do in the ring, especially in the last 10 to 15 minutes. But in terms of just back and forth, like high drama, it, it, it just it didn't... It's not as... Uh, the, the Everybody marking out over it, I, I didn't get the same mark out over it. Um, no, I, I thought... I thought the back and forth and the high drama was there, and and the work was there. I, I'm gonna, I'll agree with you. Like um, the character that Kenny Omega was, um, kind of dominated like the character that Okada showed. But I think like technically and and ring wise, I think like everybody came out of that match talking about Omega. But I I was very impressed with the match that Okada put on, and I don't really hear I didn't really hear any anyone saying too much about how good of a match that Okada put out there too. Um, like another spot that you mentioned that really and, good. And, well, and that's why I don't think it can be a six-star match. I mean, that's right. that's, that's, I, that's I, what I'm. I'm not yeah. saying that you are. Yeah, yeah. But but at the same time, just because I'm not saying that it's not a six-star, um, doesn't mean it wasn't a great match. Is, is what is is the point that I want to make. I still thought it was a great match. I, I I watched it the second time. I thoroughly enjoyed watching it the second time too. Uh, a couple other spots that that you know we didn't mention them. Um, that that missile drop kick that Omega did uh, to the back of Okada's head off the top rope, that was that was dangerous as hell, man. That was about as dangerous of a drop kick I've ever seen. And it was funny, like you know, Okada's signature is the drop kick, but Kenny Omega got like two, three, like really like premier drop kicks in there. Okada got his two, one off the top rope, and another one kind of like that charging, like you know, um, like to the chest that, that back Omega into the corner. Um, but but yeah, Omega had. A couple of those really good too. Um, took that really nasty uh, bump into the table um, on the backflip. Um, I, I like I like the move. I like I like uh, I like uh, Okada kind of through with the like the that spinning tombstone was pretty sick. And that was within that final sequence. So I I, I did like I did like the fi- the final sequence quite a bit because I felt like they were able to. They were able to like hit each other with high impact moves that weren't their finishers, so it wasn't like unbelievable to have people just keep kicking out because it's like okay, I've seen people kick out of the tombstone before, right? But it's still something that you know is doing damage, and and through the storytelling of the match, like Omega, especially after that um, the top rope, uh, I want to say it was like a top rope tiger suplex that mm-hmm. Barnett actually called. It looked like he could have broke Okada's neck on yeah. that thing. Like he was attacking that head and neck area all the way through, so I mean I thought that I thought that they they played it right through the match at least like from a technical standpoint. But I, I will agree with you like there was a certain something to Omega's personality and charisma in that match that dominated it. 
I, I have no problem. Now, I enjoyed the match as well. I have no problem with the match. It's, it's, and I, I will say this is that what I enjoy about New Japan Pro Wrestling is you are it, it, I, I like I like it, but I don't like it. And the problem that, that, that I don't like is that, okay, so you have these crazy high spots, right? But it's always, if you watch a New Japan Pro Wrestling, it's always, in the, it's always like right before the middle of the match. Right, it's like it's like you you, you have you have the long showdown in terms of names, blah 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 blah. They're filling each other out, and then you just have like these high crazy high spots, and then they get back into wrestling, right? And then and then you can still have some. Then you have like your major hard hitting spots, right? And then you have your finishing spots. So I, I just felt you know like okay yeah the high spots are good, but if you're, if you're going to if you're going to compare it to a six star match or say it's a six star match or even if Meltzer says it's a six star match, to me high spots isn't wrestling. I mean, I mean, the whole thing is like to me like a classic, and and this is probably my age showing, but I'll 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 take it. I'm gonna go off on tangents, and you need you need to you need to help me and bring me back in because okay. I I don't want to be Greg Papa on the radio. I really like the New Japan for wrestling. Whenever it's the finish, is that it's very it's it's very sequential. You know, it's it's like they they he takes a hard move on the neck, he takes another hard move on the neck. So when he finally does the finishing move or where the finishing move is, it's a one, two, three that I am okay with. It's, you never have a point where, where it's like a WWE match where it's like, okay, you know, like, you know, and I'm going to bring up John Cena in a negative way and in a positive way. So I'll do the negative way first. You know, John Cena will, 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 John Cena will kick out of all this stuff, right? And then, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll make a comeback and he'll throw on a, a, uh, his attitude adjustment from nowhere. Like, and, and it's not even built up. Right. And, and like you know, so the guy the guy can kick out of an attitude adjustment, but then when he puts the second attitude adjustment on, there's no build up for for that person to be hurt. It's a weak ass move in the first place, um, and then you get a one two three, and you're kind of scratching and going like, well, was that the match? Okada uh, pulled off a pretty sick, uh, a, a much better version of of Cena's uh, attitude adjustment yeah. in that match too. Yeah, like, I mean, Death Valley Driver style. Yeah, that which looked, was which like, was real damaging. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, but what? What I want to say is, I, I, the problem that I have is that a bunch of marks came out and said this is the best match that they've ever seen, and I'm going well why? Because and you, you know and even like you you and I'm not saying that this is what you're saying, but the thing that the thing the first thing you talk about that match is the high spots, and you're right the high spots were great, but to me that's not a six star match. I mean like if you want to do like a six star wrestling match, you have to have the emotion, you have to have the drama. You have to have the edge of your seat, kind of what's going to happen next. Now they did take care of the edge of the seat. What's going to happen next? But there was no drama, there was no emotion in that match. So Paul, let, let, let me. I'm gonna let you finish. I'm gonna let you finish. And what I want to bring up, okay, is that when CM Punk first won the title from John Cena in Chicago, I thought that was a way better match in terms of emotion. Now I'm not gonna say technical wise, it was it was a better match when Okada Omega put on. But the storytelling of that match, the emotion of that match, the background of that match, and this is why I bring up JR as well. And granted, the crowd had some, the crowd had something to do with it. But at that moment, I, you know, and I'm going to say, I think, this, I think the CM Punk and John Cena match, when CM Punk first won that match, is one of the best emotional stories I've, I've ever been on. It's one of the best roller coaster rides I've been on. And I thought John Cena, I thought John Cena and CM Punk that night had great chemistry. But, okay. Do you think? Because I think I'm not. Dis- I, w- I wouldn't I'm say not, I wouldn't say, that, I wouldn't say that's a six star match. I'm not disagreeing with your saying here either. But I think part of what led to that was we get to see WWE TV week in and week out. 
and it wasn't like just a one shot like showing us that match. But I, but and I've seen but I've seen Kenny Omega week in and week out as well. No, they they show they show clips of the big shows, but they don't show like the the week to week direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, okay, uh, I said I'd do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, but they're not. We're not seeing like the week to week like. This is what happened yeah. here, and this is what happened there, and like. But I, I know, I'm sure, I'm sure I, I know enough of, of Kenny Omega's run over the past three months to 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 look forward to this match. Right, but still, yet yeah, we're still. It's still like a when you see when we see just like the big like quote pay per view matches and not the intermediary build. Then like you're talking about what's the build up to get to this match to to have the emotion. Yeah. So like that. I mean, I'm not saying it was. I don't know, but, but that could that could be accomplished, like on their weekly shows that we're not seeing. Well, that. but here's 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 the difference between that, right? Because I bring up the CM Punk and John Cena match. I didn't watch the lead up to it. I actually watched that match two years after CM Punk was champion for such a long time, right? Or even like probably like a year and a half after he was he was champion, and I was just blown away by that match. I I, I didn't watch the lead up for it. I didn't watch it when it happened. I watched it a year and a half later, and I was blown away by that match. Now, I'm not trying to say that that match is better, but what I'm trying to say is that everybody's pointing to the last 10, 15 minutes. I'll give them the last 10, 15 minutes. That was good storytelling. It wasn't as good as Shinsuke Nakamura versus, versus Okada. That, if you want to see the, like, a, the la, like a last 10, 15 minutes of what's supposed to be a six-star match in terms of storytelling, in terms of impact of moves, in terms of the way they maneuvered each other around in the ring, that is 100 times better than McKinney Omega and, and Okada. What I also want to say, too, is that if you're going to have high spots, I felt that okay, the high spots were fine, but it wasn't like Ibushi. Like, the first time I saw Ibushi versus, uh, it wasn't, I'm trying to think who it was. It, it was a... Was in the G1 or was in the... It, it was against, it was, a, it might have been, it, it might have been Ibushi Rick. versus Ricochet or someone, someone of that oh, ilk. Yeah, Ricochet right? and uh Yeah, so, I mean, even that, like, so that had a ton of high spots, but... That was a high spot match, and and I thought you know I just felt that I'm not trying to say that what Omega did didn't lend to the story because I mean I, I'm not going to take away what he did in those high spots, but I just felt that they were just thrown in there just to be thrown in there. Like it wasn't like, and and, and that's that's what that's what New Japan does a lot though. It's like that's that's their formula for what their matches are, and and I don't think yeah. I don't think I don't think a five star match or a six star match. Now is it a five star match? Probably, but I but to me a six star match is going to be. And, and, and you're going to be very happy that I say this, but I, I think it's like a Ric Flair versus uh, Steamboat. That's a six-star match. Uh, you can probably put Hitman, um, any Hitman match with either Shawn Michaels or Kurt Henning, you can make an argument that's going to be a five- or six-star match because that's wrestling. I mean, it's like wrestling. Even though I don't like the Hitman, it's like I know he brings out, he can bring out the best in anybody. But I, I don't, I mean, I don't think that, I think that the other elements of the match were there. And then you add the high spots in. I don't think the high spots should necessarily detract from your enjoyment of the match as long as they made sense. So I'll say, like the one I was talking about when he does the foot stomp through the table, like that, that yeah. totally makes sense, right? The one where he does the springboard uh, over the cage, that one maybe didn't make sense, but that was still a badass yeah. spot, and, and I'm fine with that. But the problem, like pro- the drop kicks, like top yeah. rope, like those were, See, those to, were to me, that's, to me it's not a high spot. I mean that that. I don't know, but but the way it's pulled off, I mean it's that that's that's a New Japan spot. I mean that that's a New Japan spot. It's like where a strong, it's like a strong style drop. Yeah, I mean yeah, you saw, like, and, the, and, the and I have no problem with that. The 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 problem the problem I have, okay, is that is that we are purveyors of pro wrestling, mm-hmm. right? We have watched pro wrestling for 30, 30 plus years, right? Mm-hmm. 
And for someone to say, because they had crazy high spots, I'm not going to include those drop kicks, right? Now, if they came first and said, man, the, those drop kicks were crazy, right? And, you know, the, the strong style that they, that they did, like that's like six-star worthy. But the very first thing that, that people bring up, and I'm not saying for the whole, but I would say the majority of the people, what they bring up is those two high spots. I'm not, I'm not including those, those drop kicks because those drop kicks were crazy. And it's the last 10, 15 minutes of that match. There's been, and what I'm trying to say is that if you think that a six-star match, or if you're going to sit there and say that a six-star match now is because of these two high spots and the last 10 to 15 minutes of that match, then that's not a six-star match. You need to have everything involved. You need to have story. You need to have emotion. And you need to, you need to absolutely be rooting for a person, one person overall. I think this is a match where uh, you can root for both people. If I was to say, like, hey, uh, better have my donuts. Who do you want to win this match, right? I don't think you're going to go like, oh, Kenny Omega has to win. It's like, no, it's like you know you have two really good workers in this ring, and you want to see who wins. Now, if I was, if I was to say, like, okay, hey, uh, and so we can even say this, like, you know, even though you have Macho Man and Hulk Hogan, right? Even though Macho Man at WrestleMania five wrestled himself, if I was to ask you, who do you really want to win this match? You have a person which way or not. And it doesn't matter who it was, but I can guarantee you that you're not going to say, I don't care who wins. You're going to pick one person. If you have Ric Flair versus Rick the Dragon Steamboat, and, and I'm saying, who do you want to win this match? You are going to pick one person because the characters were, were night and day. And listen, Omega played the heel to a T. Okada is a great wrestler, but I, I, just, I just don't feel that the emotion, the emotion wasn't there. I wasn't sitting going like, okay, I, you know, I wanted Kenny Omega to win. Okay, but I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna be upset if he lost. But I, I felt that if Okada, if Okada was a little, little bit more like Tanahashi, in this match, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying to, to, for him to play up to the crowd and, and play the guitar. But that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if he was more like a Tanahashi, he, he, he him looked, winning would have pissed me off a lot more. He, he's a little more of a neutral character than, um, <clears throat> than playing like the straight, like, uh, like cheesy babyface, right? And, and I think that's the one thing that that he. I think he's shown some improvement in the last year. Um, I think it was always going to be difficult for him to be that guy because he was never going to be able to have the the charisma that that uh, Shinsuke had. And now I think that Shinsuke is not there. He has to step to that to that point. Um, and and I think I w- I will agree like that that side from him. Like the, I wa- I wanted Okada. Like I wanted Okada to win. But I but I can say yeah, it's not like. You're super emotionally invested in the character that is Okada, but I just really enjoy watching his matches. I, I and I think he's like technically sound. He's super athletic. I, I like the moves that he does. Okada Okada's today is one of the best wrestlers today. Right. I mean, I mean, I, I, he, think, he, I think you have Seth and, and Okada. He's in in some sense he's Ricky Steamboat, in some sense. Um, but Rick, he, Rick, he doesn't talk about his unit all the time. <laughs> not that unit. Um, and just in that, like... Me and my son are free. He, he could be, <laughs> like, Steamboat could be kind of a bland character, but just like a straight good guy, right? Yeah, but, but that guy could play a face like no other, though. Right, right, and, and right. That, and at that time, like, we look back now and make fun of him now, but at that time, that, that family-type character and stuff, that, that, that right. got over. Right, and, and, I mean, we were younger, so, I mean, we were emotionally invested um, I think in Steamboat, um, so I think now you know at our advanced age it takes a little bit more for to draw us in in that side, but I 
Well, can, can, can I say something, though? Was that when, when I was watching those matches with Flair and I saw, I saw two of them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, actually, I saw, I might have seen all three. Okay, I, 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 I saw two. I saw the last two. Yeah, and then you saw one later, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. when he first won, yeah, that was long. But what I, what I want to say is that I was emotionally invested in Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I was a huge Steamboat fan. I kind of knew who Flair was, but I, you know, I, you know, I didn't have that background. But, but, you, I, came but at, you came out of it as a Flair fan. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. You know, I mean, and, and that's and that was the power of that match. Now, is Flair Steamboat more athletic than Omega and Okada? Can um, Omega and Okada run run rings around Flair? Yeah. Can they do against Steamboat? Possibly. But the emotion the emotion was there, and maybe it's because I had a big following of. I mean, we were kids and Ricky's Dragon Steamboat. Right. But my my main thing now is that I can you know to this day I can still be emotionally invested in wrestling. The problem that I have with wrestling now is that there's nobody I can emotionally invest in. I, I think Nakamura is like my guy that I can emotionally invest in. I think Charlotte and Sasha are, are two wrestlers that I can do the same as well. Um, uh, if you're even going to approach a five-star match or a six-star match, I have to be emotionally invested. I have to be like on the edge of my seat saying what, what's happening. In both guys or can it be in just it one It can just be just one. And, and what I go back so to were is... So were you invo- emotionally invested in Omega for that match? No, no, no. I, I, I appreciate I appreciated the match. Now, so so wait, so let, but, wait, wait, let me let me ask you this then. So because you said Omega did all the right things, and you know we've talked about Okada did too the development. So so what 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 would it have taken to have gotten you emotionally invested? Did you need more out of Okada I, I to think, get you emotionally I, invested? In I think Omega? It was, I think it was a spoiler alert. You know, I I, you know I heard I, I heard no. I didn't know who was going to win or lose, but I heard a buzz about this match. And so I'm sitting there, okay, I'm like, all right, let me see this match. And I'm watching it, going, okay, so nothing's happening yet, right? And, and I'm not saying that that, it, that was solely the case. And, and I'll go back to, to Charlotte, Charlotte and Sasha. Like, they're the, one of the matches they had on Raw, it was the, it was the one where Sasha won. Like, she always won, won during Raw. But I was emotionally invested in that match, even though I, I didn't know if there was going to be a title change or not, but I knew that, you know, I, on social media, once I started seeing, like, oh, Sasha and Charlotte are next, I'm like, okay, so I got off of social media. So I knew, I knew they were going to wrestle. I knew they were going to wrestle for, I don't know if they were going to wrestle for the title, but I knew they were going to wrestle. I knew they were going to wrestle for the title. But I was very, but from, from the get-go, I was very emotionally invested. Not because I wanted Sasha to win, not because I wanted Charlotte to win, but the story they told, the story they told in the ring, without doing a lot, I mean... It's a perfect example, right? So, so Charlotte does her high spot where she does a she does a moonsault off off of the announce table, right? That's a high spot. Sasha does her high spot as well, but it was within the framework of the match. It wasn't like it, you know, it just the 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 two high spots that Omega and Okada did, and I think this has a lot to do with with New Japan wrestling is that you know you're going to get these high spots. You know you're going to get these athletic guys jumping out of the ring, and it just to me it's it's like okay, I've seen this before, right? Now, granted, I haven't seen Omega. I thought of Omega's high spot over the over the fence, awesome, right? It's great. I have no, I have no problem with that. But it's, it's just a case. It's an element of a, of a bunch of things. Okay, number one, number one, I think is that I, I'm getting used to seeing a New Japan Pro Wrestling match, and and it it follows all the steps, and I've seen better people do it. Like I've seen better people do better high spots that are more believable. Uh, I'd probably say you know Ibushi Ibushi Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, was a very believable high spot match. Everything that Ibushi was doing, I mean, you can even look at Ibushi Shinsuke Nakamura. That's a way better match than this match was. Uh, the last ten fifteen minutes of the match, although although it was it was great, it wasn't as good as say 
you know, Shinsuke. Uh, so I'll just say Shinsuke, right? Because, you know, Shinsuke versus Tanahashi, Shinsuke versus Okada, Shinsuke versus Ibushi, right? I've seen better last 10, 15 minutes. I, I'll, I can even say Ishii versus Makabe, you know, like the, their last 10, 15 minutes of the match sometimes. You're just sitting there like, dude, what the fuck, did, you know, what the hell is this? <laughs> so it was all those elements. I also think the announcing wasn't on par. You know, I, I, I don't think that Jim Ross can ever call a five-star or six-star match. I think he takes away from the match, to, to be honest with you. I think he needs to do more of his homework. It's, just, it's kind of a case, and, and the whole thing is that if you have two wrestlers that can't elevate themselves up with bad announcing, I don't think that's a five- or six-star match. So there, there's a bunch of things that happened during that time, and I think the marks kind of ruined it for me as well. Um, I, I would say it's a four-star match. I, I really, I, I, I would, you know what? I, I'm not even going to put a star in it. It's one of the best matches I've seen uh, in the past three, four months, right? It's what, but it's, but it's not a six star match, and and I think there's certain elements to it, and that's that's the way I feel about it. I, I, I don't want to be a hater about it, but listen, if if you think this is a six star match, you need to. I'm not talking about you, but you need to go back and do your homework. Cool. You, you need to look at Shinsuke Nakamura versus Okada. You need, you know, and and look at all the look at all the big time matches that people know about. From, from, like, 1980 on. And I just want to say, like, and I, you can tell me if you feel differently, but I, I think you're on the same page with me. Like, I respect Meltzer quite a bit um, in terms of, like, just as long as he's covered it. And he's, I think he's been pretty consistent with what he does. And, like, he has, like, a pretty, I think, like, a pretty consistent idea regardless of what the promotion is. He takes, he, he, he's like, he's like, for the locals here, uh, He's like the Tim Kawakami of professional wrestling. Like, a lot of people take shots at him and say this, but, like, he's pretty much, like, has good rationale for the things that he says. I'm going to, I'll disagree that this is a six-star match, but if I know he's seen enough that if he wants to say that it is, like, I'm not going to say, like, he's wrong because I know he's seen way more matches than, than either one of us has ever seen. Um, but just for me, I, I say, yeah, it's, I, I feel like it's one of those prisoner of the moment things in that, like, you, like it's been every, like nothing has exceeded five stars for you know however many decades. So it's a way to emphasize how good this match is. But I don't think I w- I wouldn't say it's the greatest match that I ever saw. Well, and that's why I mean if that's a I feel I feel that's kind of a part of the reason why he did that. And if he does that, then I don't have a lot of respect for him. I mean there was there was a standard to wrestling, okay? That yeah he's seen a yeah okay great he's seen a lot of lot more matches than I have. Good for him, okay. But there is a standard of wrestling, and, and even when he, when he's seen all those matches, okay, we have still seen the same matches that he's given like top, you know, top, top star ratings and stuff. And I would agree, I would agree with, with, eighty percent or hundred percent of of those of those matches. This is not the match to stand on and say this has never been done before. It right. wasn't that fucking good, and that's the problem that have is that. But it was you, very good. It was very good. No, but my whole thing is that, is that you have a standard yes. to uphold. And the whole thing is that if, if, if you are a purveyor of wrestling and, and you want to quantify yourself as, as, a, as a person that, that can direct what wrestling should be, this isn't the match to stand on. I, I have respect for Meltzer, but I, also, I think it's a dumbing down of the product. I, th- I think, it's, it's, I think it's, he's not holding himself to a higher standard. And I, I just think it's a bunch of... I, I think in, in this particular case. In this particular case, yeah. yeah. This, this, isn't the, this isn't the match to stand on, and it's kind of a case where, where, where if Meltzer would be like, oh, it's a six-star match, well, then we can all circle jerk each other and say, like, oh, yeah, this is... Nah, it, this is the match to stand on and say that to. You know what there, there's, been, there's been way better matches in terms, of, in terms of what this match was that I can count through history that I think would be a way better six-star match than this one. 
You know what I do always find uh, quite entertaining at the end of a New Japan match? When all these uh, dudes, uh, the trainers or camera people from the outside, come in with that 1975, like, blue ice pack and put it on the back of someone's neck. Yeah. And I, I, that's, I, can, I can imagine, like, none of the kids, like, no, no kids, no, no, one, no one under 25 has ever seen that, that blue, like, ice pack that you put ice in and it just, like, sweats all over the place and you screw the lid back on that we had to deal with in, like, the yeah. 70s and the that's early... So that stuff works. Well, yeah, and, and like, in 10 minutes, you're, you're soaking wet because it's just bleeding water all <laughs> over you. And, and, and it's like, this guy's got, like, dropped on his uh, head 75 times and then they go, like, put an ice pack on the man's elbow. I'm like, yeah. okay, here we go. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> the, the other problem I have with, with New Japan right now is that they're not having the wrestlers do the intros. Or, or they're not having, I mean, I, I need to see the intro, right? And, and I want to hear people talk about the match as well. So, and that's the problem that I have with the, with the whole Wrestle Kingdom uh, coverage we're doing. Because okay. I, I just like hearing some, some Japanese go, Dyson, Batanza, start. But I do like that since they do keep those things out, I, I can not necessarily know who's going to win the match. That's true. That, that, is, that is the one benefit of that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, just, I just wanted to see Tanahashi like on the ground crying, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and with a couple I'll be of, back. <laughs> with, a, with a couple of Asahi uh, dries. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that, that was the big pay-per-view that kicked off uh, 2017, and we're a handful of days away from and my what's going to be. My boy Yano and, and, and uh, Ishii won, won the world... Uh, the the world, tag team titles. Yeah. Yeah. That, did you see that match? That was a fun yeah. match. Yeah. I, I really liked it. I actually really liked the Tanahashi and, and Naito match. Tanahashi and Naito was, was a good match. That came right after, yeah. yeah. But, um, but and, and that was fine how they kind of... I, I kind of would have liked to see the preliminaries before the final, but whatever, that is what it is. But we are a couple of days ahead of this Royal Rumble, which is going to be the next big pay-per-view of January. And, you know, we're not going to sit here and do what everybody else does and try to take a bunch of guesses and previews and this and that. But the question that I wanted to present to you that I thought we could uh, banter about a bit is, why is it that, like, you know, there's, a, there's considered to be a big four. Are you going to be like the royal currency of that? Question. Yeah. Question. <laughs> why is it that the Royal Rumble is considered the second biggest pay-per-view of the year? Okay, so they have, like, four. Funk that. Yeah, <laughs> So they have, like, like, what they call the big four is going to be, like, Mania, Rumble, Survivor Series, SummerSlam. And I think, you know, Mania is, like, a larger, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a happening, as Monsoon would say. Like, just by default, that's the number one. But, you know, I always like to see um, Survivor Series. Like, Survivor Series is one of my favorites. I always, I always like SummerSlam. But there's something about the Royal Rumble that, like, I, I feel like I have to see. And I just kind of, I think you feel the same way. Like, it's kind of the one show of the year, even more so than Mania, that, that your girls want, usually want to come over and watch as well. So what is it about the Rumble that makes it, like, maybe, like, a step above of SummerSlam and of Survivor Series, in your eyes? Well, it, it shouldn't be. I, th- I think the Royal Rumble, the match itself, is one of the worst matches ever. I mean, if you think about it, right? I mean, it's, it's just so bad, right? But that's what makes it so good. Um, you, you have a bunch of guys in the ring, and they're all just kind of hitting each other, and it's, it's the same stupid spot of, like, you're trying to get a guy over, and he has his arm hooked in the rope, and so you, so like four guys, four of the biggest guys in the ring, try to put this like small, like two hundred pound guy over, and then right when they're going to get him, 
somebody hits the other guy from the back, and they're like, okay, then they forget this guy. Like, okay, we'll walk away from you. Even though the guy's, like, teetering on the edge, and all four guys decide to leave. Okay, all right, all right, we'll, we'll get you next time around. And then there, there's a guy that's going to be laying on the, on the top turnbuckle, and everybody's going to try to lift him up from, you know, he's laying on his back on the turnbuckle, and everybody's going to try to lift him up, and they can't do it. And then some guy hits him in the back. It's like, why are you hitting this guy in the back? Why? I'm like, go help him out. I'm, I'm, you know, like, hey, dude, you're really close to throwing this guy out, but I'm going to hit you in the back. And the guy's like, oh! He, he gets like, oh! And then he has to stop and turn around. And there's an, an eye rake somewhere in, in that. It, it's not supposed to work, but what I do like about it is that you know, you, it's it's just everything, right? It's like, and it all started from like DiBiase was like the king of this, right? It's like it's like, there's there's a storyline in terms of who's gonna who's gonna be who is going to be the first, who's going to be the second. There's always going to be a spot in, during the Royal Rumble where everybody's thrown out, the guy's waiting, and it's going to be like his biggest rival, or it's going to be like the 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 heralding of like, okay, this rival is really going to happen. Um, they're able to kind of mix storylines in, and play that out there's always a there's always a case where um the Wyatt family can re- reunite when, you know or, or whatever it happens with that you have the shield that can always reunite um you're going to have the top you know a top guy in there and then you're going to have the surprise right you're, you're going to have an old timer you know and a legend come in maybe there's going to be three or four that come in and you're going and you're thinking like is he going to come back is he going to is he going to you know be something or is it just like a one-time thing then you're going to have the surprise guy that's going to come out of nowhere. You're going to have the NXT guy that comes out of nowhere. So it, it really, and, and then even then it's like, and then, you know, about halfway through the match or two-thirds of the match in, you're going to kind of get a sense of, like, who is going to be the guy that they're going to, like, win the Rumble. And who do you think should win the Rumble? And I think Bray Wyatt is a perfect case. Like, if you look at Bray Wyatt last year, that guy was a monster last year. Roman Reigns was a monster the year before. And you, and you have all that stuff. And then, it's, and then it's like, and then you're going to have, the marks come out and the smarts come out. Whoever wins the Royal Rumble, that's the guy they're going to push and put the company on. And there's going to be people that like it. There's going to be people that don't like it. And that's what makes the WWE Universe so great. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you get your guy that's that's the winner that gets his hand raised. But somewhere along the line... And, and, and he's going to point to the WrestleMania sign. Yeah, of course. Which is the stupidest thing in the world. But right. Yeah. But then I think you always get, like, at least one, sometimes two or three guys that were, like, a big winner overall, even though they didn't have their hand raised at the end. Someone that survives like super long. Um, the one we always go back to, I don't even remember what year it was, but the road dog hanging onto the bottom rope for like 45 minutes, right? Like he didn't do jack squat Which in the is match. probably one of the worst rumbles ever. But right, yeah. but, but he's, like the, he's like the MVP of that one for just, hey, clutching onto the bottom rope with all his might, and then you're just laughing at it the whole time, right? Um, and that, like you said, like that, I, think, I think the biggest thing what you said that I agree is like, there's so many possibilities for storylines, right? And especially, I think, in this day and age where, like, there's a lot of leaks about backstage, this, this is what may happen going forward. And so, they, you know, usually when we know, like, on a regular program, it's like, okay, we know this is one program separate from this program, separate from that program, and they all, we all can pretty easily guess, all right, this guy's going to win and go forward. But now we know there's, like, five, six, seven storylines that are intertwining through this match, but we don't know how any of them is going to necessarily play out in the end. And sometimes, you know, it's chalk, and, and it plays out exactly the way you're expecting it to. But I, I think that this, ma- this Rumble in particular, I don't think there's any clear idea of, like, who's going to win. I mean, I think there's a couple guys that you can eliminate easily. Like, like I think you can easily say, like, like Lesnar and Goldberg's not going to win because somehow, like, off to the side, they're going to have their own thing at Mania. But with 
the introduction of like bringing the Undertaker back in um, with like what's happening with AJ and John Cena. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty out there about, and I think there's a lot of guys that could win the match, and you know they have like this storyline coming out of it, but you don't know which one's going to be the one that's going for the belt. So the uncertainty and the ability to intertwine multiple, because usually they do a bad job of, of carrying out multiple storylines. Usually it's like, okay, this is the number one storyline and everything else is the back burner. But this one you can have like four or five storylines going in and it'd be viable. Well, I, I think, so everything you just said, I, I really don't care about. And, and I mean that in a nice way. I think, I think what makes the Royal Rumble, you asked what makes the number two show, is that it's highly accessible for everybody. Right? Like, you don't need to know storylines. Now, for the person that does know the storylines, it enhances it even more. Mm-hmm. But there's just so many things about the Rumble, right? It's like, you know, sometimes, like, who, who's number one? You're going to be thinking, it's like, okay, is he going to be like Chris Benoit? Is he going to be like, you know, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin and, and come in at number one and win the whole thing? And so there's always that possibility, too. But then if they throw you a curveball and it's like, like a nobody, then, you, then you're going to know, it's like, okay, this can set up, like, you know there's so many there's so many stories with the rumble right and from from all the times that we we've watched it and i remember i mean who who would remember this number 1 was axe right number 1 entrant was was axe number 2 entrant was smash right and you're just sitting there going like dude like what the hell right it's like mm-hmm. these two guys have to fight each other and then the third guy comes out and i, I forget who it was but it's like oh yeah forget this it's yeah. like it's like demolition's going to you know dem, dem, <laughs> here comes the axe here comes the snatcher you know but so you have that. You also have, you know, the, the, what makes sometimes a Royal Rumble really work is sometimes you have, like, you have the big lead-up story to it, right? Like, I think Benoit was a good example. I think Michaels was a good example. And definitely everyone that Stone Cold Steve Austin won, the build-up was crazy, you know, because they, they had this big underdog story or, or the come up the comeuppance was finally going to happen. They come in at number one, and you're just sitting there going, like, okay, it's finally going to happen, right? Like, when Benoit was number one, it's like, it's like you, you knew, you know, I, did, I didn't know, I knew part of the story, but I knew that he was getting a big push. And then when he wins, or whoever wins, and you can even put the same with Roman Reigns, you know, like he got booed, right? Like Roman Reigns got booed. But you, next, you watch the next show because you're like, okay, how, how are they going to build this guy to, to be like the number one contender and have him be the face of the company? Now that's the that I think that's what the kind of the problem is with the Rumble now is that whoever wins is supposedly going to be the face of the company. Um, I, I think the difference is now is that, you know, and now it's an opportunity like you know, and maybe I'm wrong here because I haven't really been watching, but whoever wins they can pick their spot, right? If, if they want to transfer over to Raw and be a person on Raw, they can switch to Raw. I don't. I, I don't know how that works. I don't believe that's what it is. But it could be. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I think been, maybe, if it's anything, been done before. I think if anything, the Undertaker has that option because I think technically, he's on SmackDown. But I'm guessing he can do whatever he wants to do if he wins it. Um, but I don't know that that's been stipulated that you could go for whichever um, championship that you want. It's just every minute and thirty seconds you're gonna you're gonna see someone, mm-hmm. and, and it's it's and and they're gonna be judged on what their what their performance is gonna be through the road to WrestleMania based on what they do in the Rumble. And if they get thrown out fast, then you know that this guy's never going to get over anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that you can read into it, and maybe we read into it too much, but it's fun to read into it, and, and it's, it's fun to see what happens. And, of course, then you have all those, all those you know, crack spots of trying, trying, to, trying to throw some guy over. And then there's a guy that cleans up, cleans up house and 
throws everybody out. And so it's 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 always good. Yeah. What 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 I'm really looking forward to, which I never thought I would be. Well, I don't know if I'm looking forward to it, but um, may, maybe this is a new direction that we go into. But uh, Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho for me now, and they've probably been for a while, but they're, they're must-see TV now. And, and when the start of Raw, when Roman Reigns came out, I was like, oh, okay, I can fast forward. The second that Kevin Owens and, and Chris Jericho came out, it's like I listened to it. I haven't even finished Raw, but I, 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 am re- I think Chris Jericho is on the money right now. I, I think Kevin Owens is fine, but this is the, I'm going to say that this is the best work that Chris Jericho has ever done right here and right now, which is saying a lot for this guy. Yeah, uh, he's been kind of saying the same or something close to it. He, he's been saying kind of like he thinks this is the second best run he's ever done, but he also says like this is like one of the more fun ones he's had and kind of thinks like after he gets away and looks back, it could be the best. Um, it's hard for me to say in that, I mean, I think that it's an evolution of character, so I don't know that he gets to this point without some of the other things that he's done. So I don't know if I can make it completely independent of other things and say it's the best because I liked most of what Jericho's done. But, yeah, it's, it's right up there. I, it, it, yeah, his back and forth with, with Owens, um, the way he can kind of lead like, the crowd. Like, I really like that like two, three weeks window where they're making it look like maybe they were going to turn on each other and, and like, had the crowd eating out of his hand like whenever he wants. When, when he wants to tease that face turn, the crowd will get right behind him and then yank the rug right out from under him and then they're booing him again, but then they're cheering him by the end of the promo. I mean, he can just pretty much manipulate the crowd in any way that he wants right now. The thing that set, set it off for me and, and maybe just really go like, okay, this guy, he knows what the hell he's doing is that this Raw, he comes out and they're chanting Y2J, right? And just the look that he gives the fans, it's just perfect. It's like, it's like this guy's in control because as much as I like Jericho, I felt that there were there were probably three or four where he was believable in what he was doing. I felt what, what when he first started making a name for himself in WCW where he had to be like this over-the-top character, he was very believable doing that. And it was the first time, of course, you see him doing that. Like the Lionheart stuff? No, not no. after the Lionheart stuff okay. when, when he started uh, doing the Stinko Malenko and, okay. and the Man of a Thousand Four Holds and stuff. Um, and the work that he did with Eddie Guerrero, you know, when they were teaming up, I mean, that that was he had a good run there. I, I think, um, I think the, the transition from him being uh, his debut on Raw to transitioning to be a face with the stuff that he did with The Rock, where they were going back and forth, that that transition period right there is very believable. I felt that he was wasn't that good in a lot of other things that he did. I mean, it, it worked for him because he was good, and I, I think his. Uh, his No Country for Old Men gimmick, uh, that was extremely believable. Mm-hmm. The stuff he did when, he, when he, he was coming back every now and then, like stuff with CM Punk, it was boring. AJ Styles was boring. Um, I, I really felt, I'm not saying that he wasn't good, good during that time, but his stuff that he's doing now is extremely believable. I know, he's, I know he's putting on an act in terms of like, you know, he's playing the crowd and stuff, but he's believable doing it. And uh, it's, I, you know, you're you're a big you're you're a bigger Chris Jericho fan than I am, and I think that's that kind of stops me from being a Chris Jericho fan as much because it's kind of, he's like he's your guy, um, and and sometimes like I, it's it's kind of the case too. It's like oh man, it's like ah you know okay dude whatever. It's like all right you know if that's what you believe. But I think this is a time where I'm sitting there going like dude this guy's great. Yeah, I think 
when you talk about like the old some of the older stuff that we've seen and the way that guys in in previous decades and years have, have taken the experience that they had to get over even though they might not be the caliber of athlete that the the modern sports entertainer is just athletically but he I think he's taken all of that stuff that he's learned over the years and he's, he's crafting it into this character that can pretty much do whatever he wants to do with it at any moment and and you know not to harp on any other characters right but or any other you know performers out there but there's a lot of the guys that if the, they can't adapt with the crowd and that's something that, that Jericho can do he can he can he can be a baby face for just like five seconds and go straight back to being a heel. He can be a baby face for 30 seconds just just to build the crowd up just a little bit more just so that they boo him harder in 30 seconds when he goes back to being a heel. And, and, and that's, I think, the thing that a lot of these guys don't have. Yeah, I, I think Jericho for a while was... I don't think he had a lot of backstage pull in terms of the boys. Like, I, I felt that, you know, when it was like Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, John Cena, um, kind of like this this kind of new reality-based era of wrestling, I think Jericho was trying to come back in thinking that um, he was a lot higher than, than people thought he was. I think a lot of people forgot about Chris Jericho. I don't think he had a lot of respect in the back room or in the backstage. And you say one, you know, and I think that's totally reversed now. I think, I think there's a climate now where he's been able to show people how, you know, that this is the way that he used to be and he's backing up to his talk that he used to say. Because even on his podcast and stuff, I, I was just like, you know, dude, I'm like, I'm like, you're you're done, dude. Like you're over. You're like not you're not over over. You're just like you're finished. I, I think over the past year and a half, I wouldn't say that he's reinvented himself, but he's starting to back up what he what he's saying because now he's a full time performer. It's not just like a one time thing. He's not going to go off and do another project. Um, and you say that he can adapt to the crowd. I'm not going to say he adapts to the crowd. I say he 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 controls the crowd. I mean, he moves it, the crowd. It, it's. It's the ability to do both. Yeah. He, it's like, he can, yeah. he can set the he, crowd he can, up. He can ad lib. Yeah. yeah, he can set the crowd up to do, have him go the direction he wants and just so he can turn right back on him. Or if the, but he does have the ability that if the crowd does something that, that is completely unexpected, he can work with that and then bring it back to the spot that he wants to. Unlike some people that will just say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you can say whatever you want and that's why this place is great, right? No, yeah. no names mentioned. Or Cleveland, yeah. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and get into a let's get into our golden mic, and, and you've had a little bit of a you've had a little bit of, of backlog on this, but I, I felt that it's appropriate. I, I've been rereading this guy's autobiography, and and I just started looking at these promos and see what happens. Well, before we get into any other topics, just exactly, Anvil, what kind of research are you involved in at the Hart Foundation? Well, I'll tell you something, Ivy League. At the foundation, Jimmy Hart has set aside many, many rooms for many, many different purposes. We got a high flying room so the Hart Foundation can keep up with all high flyers. We got a weight room. We have one heck of a secretary who's very, very efficient. And we got a psychiatrist who analyzes and comes up with, with, with what's in the minds of our opponents. We have, a, we have an advantage all the time. We know what they're thinking before they think it. Well, speaking of your opponents, I would imagine foremost on your mind, Anvil, and of course, Brett the Hitman's would be the tag team champions of British Bulldogs. You're always asking us questions. Always asking us questions. Well, let me ask you a question, all right? Be my guest. What exactly is a female dog? 
That's not what Brett Well, it's called a bitch, is the term. <laughs> a what? Oh, the, the terminology is a bitch. Referring to a female dog. That's the bulldog's new manager. It's bad enough. It's bad enough that you gotta take orders from a dog, <laughs> but you gotta take orders from a bitch. <laughs> Boy, they're really using their brains, aren't they? They should have a foundation of their own. Does she got a little tiny belt she wears around too? <laughs> Gorilla, what can I say? We'll be back with more great primetime action right after this. Nightheart did an excellent job of popping himself on that one. Well, this is a... It's funny because I remember all these promos and, and you know, when Anvil was in his prime, like in 87, between 89 or whatever... It's like, you just thought he was, like, this big old tough guy, and I watch it now, it's like, he has, like, this really, like, infeminate voice, you know, it's like, it's very articulate, you know, it's like, I'm like, dude, I'm like, you're the anvil, dude, I'm like, why do you sound so, like, polished, you know? Yeah. And, and the other thing, too, with Bret Hart is, like, this guy was such a, he was such a cardboard cutout, yeah. and it's like, dude, I'm like, if you would have done this, like, you know, the, I mean, I, he comes off really good in, in this, he comes across really good in this promo. He, he, he kind of fumbling around in the beginning, like, yeah. in the end, he kind of, like, finds himself, but... Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's funny to, not that like Bret Hart ever became like a great great promo, but it's he became a pretty serviceable promo as time went on, especially when he turned heel. But he was a pretty bad promo like real early on. Terrible promo. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we we could do a promo right now if we wanted to. You know, it's like it would just be a case of Jim Jim Anvil getting all crazy, like he's all calm, and then Hitman was like, "Calm down, calm down, calm down." So, yeah. and this this was a surprise. Like I never I've never seen this promo before. And I just fumbled, fumbled up on it, and yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, like I mean, Anvil carried a lot of the the early early talking for for the Heart Foundation, which is is kind of you know, it's kind of it's, it seems kind of reversed to think that like he would be the guy, like he's supposed to be the muscle, the enforcer. You think the guy that's the the technician, the kind of the leader of the group is going to be the one to do the talking, and you got the muscle to back you up, but in a lot. It was kind of reversed in, in, in the beginning days for the Heart Foundation. And, and I think it, it kind of got lost with that. I mean, if, if I, I thought the Heart Foundation's heel run, and I'm not just talking about those two guys, but, you know, Pillman, yeah. uh, Owen, uh, British Bulldog, uh, I thought that was, that was a great heel run. But Anvil was hardly ever on the mic. It was, it was mostly uh, Bret Hart. And, I, you know, you say he was never a great promo. I thought he was a great promo during, during yeah, that heel that's run. What, like, that, that was probably his best time. Like, that was when he found his voice, and then... After that, like, I mean, it wasn't necessarily always great, but, like, he, he knew who he was after that, even if he went, went back to being babyface again. So but he was a great, he, he was a very good promo during that, that pro-Canada um, time period. So during, so to, uh, to go on to something else real fast, if we can do it, is we, we talk about the Hara Foundation, you talk about the British Bulldogs, and you talk about that time of, of tag teams where you have diverse tag teams, but they were very fun to watch. I mean, Heart Foundation, British Bulldogs, that was a good match to watch. And you can throw in the Rockers there. Uh, you could throw in pretty much anybody, like, you know, like, you know Killer Bees, Rougeau's, right? I mean, they Strike Force. Strike Force. Your boys are Strike Force. My boys do. Um, but what I do want to say, and what, which is kind of upsetting to me, because I'm really upset right now, if you, if you can tell by the inflection of how are my voice... Are you vexed? I, I'm, I'm vexed, yeah. Um, this... Tag team match that is going to be on the pre-show of Royal Rumble with um, Guns and Gallows and uh, Sheamus and Cesaro. 
there's no way that should be a, a, a preliminary match. And the reason why I say is that because there's something there. There's something there with Cesaro and Sheamus from their intro to what they do in the ring. And Guns and Gals already, already has it. If you want to have, and, and we, we talked about the movies and we gave uh, Tag Team of the Year to the Revival. And um, I said during that time, because I actually like listen to what I say and want to improve myself, unlike some other people that I don't know, um, or that I do know. But, but, but what I do want to say is that I said I wouldn't mind the Revival staying at NXT because then they can tell these stories in 35 or 45 minute increments and have a great match. I will say this right now, and I'm, I'm not saying to be outlandish, I'm not saying to be a Skip Bayless. If you give 35 to 45 minutes to um, Guns and Gals and Cesaro and Sheamus, they, they will blow you away. And it, it, it just it makes me really mad that these guys aren't getting the time that they're getting because there's an it factor to Cesaro and Sheamus. It all starts with that entrance. And the whole thing is that those, both of those entrances suck, uh, singular. But you put, you put those together, and it sets the tone. It's just, it, it just works. You know? I mean, like Cesaro is standing behind Sheamus, and then he comes and does a Scott Hall you know, through this, you know, un- underneath like Cesaro's arms and, and then rips off his clothes and stuff. It, it works. Then you have Guns and Gals, just two no ad, two, you know, no, no you know, nonsense. no nonsense guys. They, they, they're all, all four of them are great performers. They're better together. I, I just don't get it. I, and I think, I think it's, a, I think it's, a, I think it's, I think it's the number one problem that I have with Raw. Is I, and I think it's the, re- and we can get into this later on, but I think that's the biggest problem that you have with Raw. Is that they're they're not they're not giving any time to guys that actually know how to do stuff, in terms of telling stories and putting on entertaining matches, which is the opposite of SmackDown, which they give time to to uh, to the to the two new hot baby face tag teams and stuff. Even if you if you give them ten minutes, at least it's ten minutes well spent. You can give ten minutes to Cesaro and Cesaro if you can give ten minutes to to, the, to Cesaro and Sheamus and to Guns and Gallows. You can give them ten minutes, you'll get a good match. You can give them twenty minutes, it'll be a good match. You can give them 45 minutes, it'll be a good match. If you give them 46 minutes, then Meltzer's going to give them a seven-star rating. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's a sad state of affairs for Raw, and it's a big problem that I have with Raw. Just, just to play devil's advocate, what if, what if they get 30 minutes on the pre-show does that, and put on a great match? Would, would that be something that you'd be satisfied with, or do you think it's still a slight because it's a pre-show? Oh, well, it's still a slight. I mean, the, the whole thing is that who, who watches the pre-show? Right, I mean, not a case of who watches the pre-show, but when you go back and watch the show, are they going to show the pre-show? You know, no. They they have the pre-show, and then they have, then they have the pay-per-view on the WWE Network. I'm not going to sit there and and the whole thing is that so it's streaming. You 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 try to fast forward it. You have no idea because you can't see frame by frame what's going on. You have to kind of guess. I'm not going to sit there and guess when the match is going to start. Right. I'm not going to go online and see what the time frame is for that. It's you have four of the best performers that nobody flipping knows about. You're not giving them any time, and I think that's a huge problem with, with Raw. And it's the reason why I don't watch Raw anymore is because I have to sit there and watch fucking Mick Foley and Stephanie McMahon go on the same drama that they've had for the past five six months. And then oh look, oh the green lights are coming on. Oh who is that? Oh that's Triple H's music. Oh great. You know when you should be when you should be pushing these guys because these guys have it. It's just more of the flipping same that I get tired of. I think the, um, the cruiserweight division is also um, kind of holding them back as well. It's vanilla. I mean, it's just vanilla, dude. Right, but I'm saying like, no, that yeah, could yeah. be time spent building up a yeah, the you know what, there, division, right? I mean, there, there's certain, you know, Kendrick, to me, 
And we were, this is like a quick hit, like, State of Affairs by Bad News Roman. Uh, Wait, Ken, Kendrick, Kendrick or Neville? Kendrick. Okay. Kendrick is boring to me. Neville, Neville I don't have a problem with. It's, it's, it's just, it's taking too long to develop these stories. Um, when the best thing that happens from that cruiserweight division is, uh, is the crazy, uh, you know, Alicia Fox going crazy again, when that's the best pop of the night for a cruiserweight division, and that's the only thing, I'm like, oh, wow, that's, wow, that's good. Alicia Fox is back to being that, the, the crazy lady again. Uh, there's a problem. There's yeah. a problem with that, dude. Right. Even even I'm kind of like lost in my. I, I, I had kind of. Who told you way back when? No. Who I, told you that was going to be way back when? No, I I never. It's I never so late. I never said my that, wife is waiting for me. I never said they were going to do it well. I said that it it should it it should be done. Like they have everything they need for it to do well, but they're just not doing it well. And uh, the problem is, is, is three hours is way too long, dude. It's just way too long. You have way too much freedom. I think when you have three hours, I don't know, dude. It just doesn't work for me. I mean, I'd say that... I mean, it's hard to argue at this point, but I think it's more of what the way they think they need to book a show. I mean, if you've got three hours and you got plenty of talent, which they do, then they should be able to there is a formula that it can be done correctly, but they just continue to get it wrong with the certain ways that they feel they need to stick to whatever formula, like you said, bringing out Foley and Stephanie McMahon to start off for, for 20 minutes or whatever. I, I think they've done better, like opening up, like you said, when they open up a lot of times with Jericho and, and Owens, at least like it starts off more entertaining, but there's still always that lull when they have to trot out Foley and, and Stephanie and then do something for 15 minutes and then like, stupid fans that like uh, when, when she starts uh, pointing her fingers up to mock Daniel Bryant they're all, all the Daniel Bryant marks are out there chanting yes even though they don't realize she's making fun of the guy that's their hero and things like this she just gets tired but yeah they, I mean but that's the thing it's like you're saying like you're wasting talents like like Guns and Gallows you're wasting talents like Cesaro and Sheamus it's not that that doesn't fit in with the idea that three hours is too long. If you're having talents like that and you can't find a place for them, it comes to the idea that you're not figuring out like what talent is the one that's going to get over and what's the guys that you should be using on your show. So like I, I hear what you're saying in practical matters. It's, it's like communism. It, it, sound, communism. it sounds like a good idea, but it's never executed properly. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's the thing with the three-hour show. Like It sounds like a good idea. You should be able to fit in more contact, uh, content but they're never executing it the way that it really should be done because uh, they, because... They don't know how to write a show. Because, you, do you know what, um, you know what the... Uh, no, I don't know. The, just going on to your thing about <laughs> um, Alicia Fox, um, the, the, the backstage report on why that is a thing is because, you know, Noam Dar's accent, Vince McMahon thinks that when he says Fox, it sounds like fucks, and he thinks it's hilarious. Like, that's, that's how a show gets booked. And you're gonna put that, you're gonna give that ten minutes instead of guns and gallows, and, and that that's where your problem is. It's not three hours. It's like what decision, what decisions you're making to put into the time that you've got. Because I think the roster's loaded. I think there's plenty of talent. Roster is loaded. They don't they don't know how to tell stories. And then, is WrestleMania season's coming up, and they're will will willing out all the people that I don't care about. So, it's it's just kind of it's just kind of funny. Yeah, it, you maybe you know. You don't know because I'm saying you know, but WrestleMania, maybe that's not the number one show anymore, dude. 
I, th- I think it's a case where it's like it's easy to say like, oh, hey, WrestleMania. But SummerSlam usually has the better matches. Um, I mean, last WrestleMania was good, I think. But it's just kind of a case where it's just like, okay, we got to wheel these people out. You know, the, the best one was like when The Undertaker came back and I don't even know he's basically... I'm like, oh, man, yeah. That's 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 <laughs> that's what I came to turn this it's like click turn it off. <laughs> so uh, I just think like when it comes to I'm back. Well, when it comes to WrestleManias over the last few years, it's like they're catering to the mainstream fan with all bringing back these like guys that most people that actually watch the show week in and week out don't want to see. And so like if you want to get hyped up for if you want to be like Mojo and and get hyped and stay hyped for WrestleMania. You're looking at the undercards, and then once they get to that last hour, that are the supposed big matches. Those are matches you don't care about. Like I, I could care less about Goldberg and Lesnar. Yeah. Um, real fast, listen on a positive note. I like uh, what's going on with uh, Bray Wyatt, with the Wyatt family and um, Randy Orton. Really like it. A uh, little bit too drawn out, but it's fun. Uh, I, it, and I think it's a way for, uh, I think it's a way for Randy to kind of, I mean. Randy became relevant again. I mean, and the whole thing is like, I don't, I'm not going to like the breakup because I felt that they could have, I, I felt it was, it was a good combination. I, I felt that Randy, Randy could, you know, it's like we always talk about these factions. And even when you're making like a wrestling faction on a video game, right? It's like you have your main guy, but you always have like that second guy. It's like, it's like kind of like a, it's kind of like Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, you know, or, or even you can even say like the first incarnation of the NWO with Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall, right? It's like, okay, Hogan was the top guy. He was the guy that's spewing all the crap. But Nash was the muscle. You know, Randy Orton, same type, same type of deal, right? Um, so I, 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 they, they should have extended a little bit longer, but I understand that they have to do it for the Royal Rumble to, to do a split and everything like that. But really like that. Uh, anything else that you like real fast? Um, yeah, I'll just do it really quickly. Um, man, I, I don't, I'm not saying that this guy is... Uh, I have no idea what this guy's future is going to be, but I've been impressed with the progression of Braun Strowman. Like, I thought, you know, when we were talking about it six months ago, I thought this guy was, like, dead on arrival. Nothing you're going to be able to do with this guy. No mic skills. Very green in the ring. Um, still green, but, like, he's developing pretty nicely, and and he's, he's sort of developing a character. Um, you know, ultimately, I feel like he's going to get that monster push until John Cena needs to beat somebody that's bigger than him, and then then he'll go the Rusev route or, or whatever that route ends up being. But he's, he's shown me a lot more than, than I thought I was going to see out of this guy. So um, I'm curious to see where it heads. I'm, I'm curious to see what they, can, what they can get out of this guy right now. And he actually was on Jericho's podcast uh, with Guns and Gallows. One of the funniest podcasts. One of the funniest podcasts I ever heard. You heard, heard that one, right? The one when, the, when, he's doing the, when they're doing the David Penzer. Yeah, well, he well, um, Gallows always does does the penzer. Yeah, <laughs> but but you know, in like, this corner. Yeah. <laughs> but you heard the one with Strowman. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, he was it was talking, one of the best podcasts yeah, I ever he's, heard. He's talking about that the app like where I pooped around the world and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I even like better about that podcast was uh, was when <laughs> when they were doing uh, God, who who was the ring announcer? Uh, Finkel? Fin- yeah, Finkel. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they're doing the Finkel impersonation. Okay, but, but, but we're, we're going off, off topic. Um, another, another thing that I like in wrestling right now, uh, see, we just created, we just created a, a new segment, what I like in wrestling right now, um, is the dude, and I don't even know his name, but uh, the dude from NXT, uh, you told me about him. Um, oh, uh, Roderick Strong? No, 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 no. 
No, fuck, no, not Roger Strong. The the, the other dude, the perfect ten. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, Ty Dillinger. Ty Dillinger, yeah. Uh, I wasn't. I mean, you. Okay, he was fine. I knew he was being groomed to get like this, this, this push. But the way they're teasing whether he's gonna jump ship or stay in NXT uh, is keeping me, you know, watching. Um, I don't think he's ready for 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 it yet. But the whole thing is like you know, there's there's something there. I I, I like seeing the progression. I like seeing it on the on the ground floor. I don't know if this guy's ever going to be a huge star, but he has the potential be a, to be a, a good star. I mean, if at least a mid carder, can be a mid carder, yeah. But I, I really, I really like the direction he's going, and I like the storyline that that I, I like that kind of teetering back and forth that they're doing with him. Yeah. The, the tease, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting to see what's going to happen with NXT right now because they're kind of on this verge of trying to reinvent what's going to be like the next iteration of their of their stars. Because I, because I think you know. I think Samoa Joe and Nakamura are not long for NXT at this point. So it's interesting to see how they, they're introducing some of these newer guys but trying to position that position them in a spot where they could be like vi- have a viable like championship division and being able to use someone like Ty who's been there for a long time and has got passed over but it's kinda of always like on that um, upper mid card level and like give this guy a chance to see if he can make it into that uh, that main like main event picture in NXT. Okay, so one last thing that you like in wrestling right now? Um, Come on, man, you're, you're doing so good. Yeah, dude. I was, I was. Um, I, I, I do like, okay, I like uh, as bad as the, uh, the, uh, the, the cruiserweight division can be, I love Austin Aries on commentary. Austin yeah. Aries is great. Every, every, every single time, he's, he's got like probably the best catchphrase going right now. Whenever Mar- Mauro Ranallo asks him a question, like, what would you do when this guy comes at you like that? Oh, I just put my thumb in his eye. Like, every single time, that's his response to everything. <laughs> is, is this on the 605 show, or... or uh, they bring him in... I know they bring him on Raw. He does... Yeah, they bring him in on Raw, and then on the 205 Live, it's it's Austin Aries, Mauro Ranallo, and... Um, What's his name? And, yeah. Uh, the it's, Culture Shock guy. Yeah, CJ Graves or something. Corey Graves. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and those three are great together. But yeah, yeah that's everything with with Aries. Yeah, I just put my thumb in his eye. So I, I'd like to see someone. Um, I'd like to see him elevated. Actually, put his no, I'd like to see him elevated to political office and say, "Well, how would you handle uh, the economy here?" I'd put my thumb in somebody's eye. Yeah. Right? I think, how, how, I think how would you? Would how would you? Uh, how would you handle criticism that a wall that you want to build is going to cost twenty five billion dollars in the biggest uh, financial undertaking in U.S. history? Well, I'll put my thumb in his eye. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, what do you think you with Mexico says and not going to pay for it? Thumb in the eye. Thumb in the eye. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so no, I, that's my thing. That <laughs> what are you going to do when people say you're orange and pasty and you, and you probably have mental issues and probably have uh, a mental disorder? I'll put my thumb in his eye. Exactly. Yeah. See, so I think save the world according to Austin Aries is, is the way to go forward. That, that, that's a little bit of a stretch. I, I, you know, you could have done better in that spot, you know. Uh, if, if you have criticism of what I'm saying, I'll put my thumb in your eye. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that's how I would have done better. I should have just put my thumb in your so, eye and you asked the question. So, so real fast, um, Rogue One. Saw it, right? Yes. Where would you rank it on, on all, every Star oh, Wars? Man, uh, uh, I, I, I got to see it a second time to really do that, but... Um, but gut reaction. As a, as a standalone, it's probably like second or third. Second or third. So M- Empire Strikes Back. Right. Uh, is The Force Awakens in, 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 in there somewhere in the second or third? May, I, I need to see Force Awakens again, too, because yeah. like, I, I really enjoyed it the first two times I saw it, and then... I've kind of let all like the the outside chatter seep in. Yeah. So I need to see it for another time to like just kind of really evaluate it. 
So I, I would I would say Empire, uh, probably it was Empire, Star Wars, uh, Rogue One, probably Force Awakens. That, that's that. Star Wars is you mean New Hope. New Hope, yeah. Okay. So yeah Empire, that that that'll always Empire, be Star Wars. I, I don't want to have the argument with the Four Horsemen I just, I just and, and the Brainbusters. I just want to clarify. <laughs> so you're saying Empire, New Hope. Uh, no Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> then Empire Star Wars. Then Rogue One, then Force Awakens, or you? Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, a lot of realism to that one. Yeah. So, so, and then last but not least, um, the intro to to this podcast. Do you, you know who that is? Um, well, I read it. It said Wu Tang, but I no. thought it was uh, from the new Tribe Called Quest album. Have you bought the new Tribe Called Quest album? Xavier has it. And you haven't listened to it yet? No, I've heard. That's why I knew. I knew. That's why. I, okay. But, I, but, I, but, I have, but but have you listened to it? Have you um, listened to the album? I've heard it, but I haven't listened to it. Okay. So I, I can't even say, like, what you think about it, you know? No, everything I heard I liked. But I, think, I haven't, like, just sat down and, like... See, so I was going to ask you, like, where, where, where you I rank... I cannot rank that. Yeah. I haven't, list, it's, I haven't listened enough to rank it. It's in the top three, I think. Yeah? I, I don't know. Well, that, that's kind of tough, because all their albums are... Well, no, not all their albums are good. Uh, you know, I'd probably say it's top three. I think you have... I think you have Low End Theory and Midnight Marauders. Those are... Those are two tough that, you know, that's kind of you interchange those two. And, and I think I'd probably say this is the third best Tribe Quest album I've heard, even though I like People's Instinctive Path of Funk and Rhythm a lot, too. What about the Love Movement? Love Movement was good, Love Movement was good but here, here's the thing, here's the thing that, that I will say, the reason why I think, I think it's top three, the, this new Tribe Called Quest album, is because, is because, oh my God, Don West, ah! Um, is because there's only three copies left at four ninety nine. <laughs> is it sold 800,000 copies in its first two weeks. That means in a year it'll sell 55 billion copies. <laughs> God. Um, no, not only... So, Q-Tip is very good on that album. He has so much to say, though. I mean, like, if you listen to the way, the way he rhymes on that album, he's just, like, nonstop. Just, like, boom, 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 boom. Which I've never... It's like, it's like Q-Tip on crack, right? Like... Q-Tip on, on the first couple albums, just really good delivery, not too rushed. I mean, he just goes nonstop, and it, it just works. Like, he doesn't take a flippin' breath, dude. But it doesn't sound like, he's not like Tongue Twister, where he's like trying to do everything all fast, right? It's just, it's just like, he has so much to say. But really, really it sets this album apart. It's the re-emergence of Busta Rhymes, dude. I mean, Busta Rhymes, this is, this is Busta Rhymes' best work ever. I mean, listen, that's, that's saying a lot. That, and I'll, I'll stand by that, dude. It is his, it is his best work that he has done to this date. Uh, all right. All right. Now, now I'm going to have to go in there because I'm going to have to go listen to this because I think like what, I think they got Jarobi on tracks in this thing. Jarobi's good on it too. Like Jarobi's on the, Jarobi kills his first well, track. I saw him because um, I listened to like, like the week it was released, they were on SNL. Yeah. And then, so I watched that performance. Um, like, <laughs> who knew Jarobi could rap? This is this is crazy. And then they have the other, they have women the, loved him. Is it consequence? Is that the guy that's on the list? Consequence, also? yeah, yeah. Uh, is he? All right? He's all right. I mean, he's 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 you know what? He's he, uh, there's there's some songs like his lyrics are like just you're sitting there like wow like it's too bad that he's saying it because if someone else had it you'd just be blown away by it. But he he has he has some good stuff. Um, Bus is only on Bus is on like four or five songs, but the songs that he's that he's on, it's it's top level stuff, dude. And 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 I'll say like. I was never a big fan of of, of Busta's solo work. I, I like the coming a lot, but I'm sure you do. Yeah, it just keeps coming and coming. But uh, when, when he when he started doing like when he started like getting on MTV and stuff on the, and the videos and everything like that, I wasn't that big of a fan of 
big of a fan of his at that time, even though I respected what he was doing. This by far to me is like, it, I would say like you know the work that he did on um, with uh, Leaders of the New School. Okay, that's that's something in itself. But the work that he did with um, Tribe Called Quest on all iterations, all albums of Tribe Called Quest, he's always there. This is his best work I think that he's done. There's there's a couple songs there's a couple songs that 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 he's on that will just blow you away. All right. That, all right. That'll that'll. That'll be impressive because I've been blown away by Buster Rhymes quite a few times. Yeah. Um, well, maybe may, so. Maybe it's not his best work because maybe his best work was just him and Q-Tip when when uh, when uh, DJ uh, the dude <laughs> what's the dude from Gangstar's name G Premier. Uh, yeah. So like the Premier stuff that you know. So anything that Q-Tip produces with just the two of them, or anything that Premier produces with just Q-Tip and and Busta is really good. It's it's on par with that, and I think there's, I think it's better. All right, all right. So uh, mood of scale number whoever the care what it is. I got my boy over here. Better have my donuts. He did not look at the sky once. I am the bad news ramen, and I never look up at the sky, except when I go to sleep. Um, but other than that, yeah. I might have looked up once. I I think the eyes were going in that direction, but, 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 and you but, stopped me. I, I, yeah, I stopped. I, <laughs> I slapped you. Put dude. an end to that. <laughs> and in, in one second, I squashed you. All right, uh, we'll check you out next week. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, forget it. We'll check you out next week. Uh, you, you brought your game today. Uh, he has a bunch of crumpled up papers for, for a bunch of uh, different topics that uh, we want to talk about. We want to get away from play-by-play of, of what happens in and out. We might be able to do a little bit because the Royal Rumble is coming up this, this Sunday, so it might be a little bit of that. But... Um, we want to do more far-reaching topics. We want to kind of get back to the basics of, of why we watch wrestling, uh, certain ideas that we, uh, that we kind of drew us into wrestling, and I think kind of what we started talking about today uh, with Kenny Omega's uh, you know, and Okada's six-star match, that's a good start. Uh, the Royal Rumble uh, discussion, uh, that's more where I want to go to. I like bringing up the past in terms of what we've been able to watch, and um, just because it kind of shows that we kind of know what we're talking about. Uh, but we're looking for more far-reaching uh, type uh, ideas. And my man over here, Bet I Have My Donuts, has a whole list of them. Uh, if uh, you guys have something that, that's been bothering you or been rankling you or inkling you, um, you can get at us on Twitter, uh, Bet I Have My Donuts, Bad News Ramen. Uh, shoot us something that you want us to talk about. Uh, we can think about it. And we will give you the right answer to whatever your question is, is because we are... <laughs> we're not... We're not the smart guys. We're not the mark guys. We are the guy. Ruby, my fire woven to different cloth. Nothing forbidden. This nigga kid is written off. Hardest spit in the city. I think he's spitting. Getting soft, confused in the maze. You can pull your brain. Missing lust and planning for our future people. None of our people involved. Boring Henny and smearing off. They get it cracking off. Cracking off a smearing off. Quickly turn the Molotov. Molotov the spaceship door before that bitch is taken off. And oh, it seems the poorest persons. The people forsaken dog. The Washingtons, Jeffersons, Jacksons on the captain's log. They'd rather leave us to the gray and sweat of poison. Deli small. Glass unblackening. It's happening. You feel it, y'all. I'd rather see weed in three by three structure with many bars leave us where we are so they can play among the